Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we are going to be discussing self-righteousness. And let's be real, it has really been affecting the church and those around the church. And this is a problem that goes all the way back to Philippians chapter 3, when Paul talks about his own self-righteousness. It's a helpful conversation. Justin and I are both encouraged by it, and we hope you are too. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging worry pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. Justin, we are not a discernment ministry. Mm. We are not here to blow people up. No, we're not. Your host today, we're not our here, Justin. <laughs> we're not here standing on the wall to mow people down. I That's agree. right. We're going to correct everybody. So, <clears throat> your host today, our Justin... Purdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I am John Moffat. I'm the pastor of Grace Reformed Church. Yeah, you are. In beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee, where everybody in California is currently moving to. So They're moving, hey, that, they, they want to move the land to the free. They want to move That's the land to right. the free. <laughs> it is no joke. We have more Californians in Tennessee than I think we have Tennesseans. So mm. there we go. Things they do Justin, change. Justin, we got a excellente book to give away today, my friend. So not only are we not a discernment ministry, we like to give stuff away to the people <laughs> that listen to us. Yeah, we're, right. not trying, we're not trying to buy your attention or anything like that. We just want to try to put good resources in the hands of the people who mm. listen to Theocast. So yep. today, as always, I assume we've used the Wheel of Names. We which, did. again, is the uh, software application thing that we use to randomly select people from our membership to win the giveaway for the week. Mm-hmm. And this week's winner is Peter Christensen, That's Peter right. Christensen. And so Peter, I think we're going to email you. Yeah. We'll send him an email. Great. And we'll get all the details that we need from you, man, in terms of trying to ship you what you're going to win this week, which is an excellent book. Mm-hmm. by our brother in Christ, a man who has been very helpful to both John and myself from a distance. The book is The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson is one of the books I know that I give away as much as any. Uh, it's one of the better books that I've read in a number of years. And in that book, Sinclair deals with the themes of legalism and antinomianism and the sufficiency of Christ. And he also gives some historical context to that conversation in terms of the marrow controversy in the Church of Scotland. I think it's a great read, and it's very informative, and I trust, Peter, you will find that book to be helpful uh, for you, man, as you try to sort through some of these categories. If you are listening to this and you want to buy a copy of The Whole Christ, I think there's going to be a link in the show notes, John, Yep, for mm-hmm. people to do something like that. And we're going to give away an additional copy via social media. So this podcast comes out on a Wednesday. If you go today to any of the Theocast social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you will find instructions on how to get involved in the social media giveaway extravaganza. And so if you follow those instructions, you can sign yourself up for that. And we will announce the winner tomorrow, which will be Thursday. 
mm-hmm. uh, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday. So yeah. yeah, you can win a copy of The Whole Christ that way, or you can just go to the link in the show notes and buy it. If you don't have the book, get it. It will be well yeah. worth your time. Yeah, it's a good read. It's definitely not going to be a simple read if you think you're just going to you know breeze through it. It will challenge you, but it's worth the time totally. for sure. But it's not it's not written in a in a way that's hard to read. It's just it's a like the material is substantial for sure. Yeah, it's it's kind of a historical theology more than a theology book. Mm-hmm. So it's good, very yeah. little different from some of the other books we have uh, recommended recently. But mm-hmm. hey, Justin, I don't know if you know this, but um, Sinclair Ferguson, he's my spirit animal. I, I don't even know what that means, John. <laughs> <laughs> really. You don't know what a spirit animal is? You, you don't remember this movie? Yes. I, yes, kind of. But I, yeah, no. That, that What is, when I die, I want to come back as Sinclair Ferguson, especially so I can have his accent. The Scottish accent, I was going to say. Mm. Absolutely. I'm Scottish. I just don't have the accent. So No, you do not. Moffatville is where it comes from. It's a little, little village in Scotland. So, Anyways... Let's go ahead and move on to today's topic, which uh, Justin and I had a great conversation pre-recording, as always. And today we are talking about, man, there's so many angles to this, but really we're talking about all the different negative dangers, weaponization of self-righteousness. And it is a tricky topic because self-righteousness is not this glaring, you know, <laughs> um, rock that's right in the middle of the road that everybody can see that they need to drive around. Often self-righteousness is that big pothole we don't see and we fall right into it and the damage can or, be quite significant. I might even say it's the black ice of the Christian life. Uh-huh, like, there you go. It's You don't see it. Slippery. You hit it. And it derails the train. I'll, I might go and lead with this, John, and mm-hmm. then I want you to continue setting up the topic. Sure. I think that self-righteousness is the sort of billboard sin of the church that we need to always have in the crosshairs. Like mm-hmm. It's the thing, like you, we've talked about before how it seems that in many church contexts today or in evangelicalism today, um, nominalism is in the crosshairs. That's right. In my opinion, biblically, self-righteousness is in the crosshairs within the minds of the apostles because they are trying to blow up any notion of Jesus plus theology. And we're going to talk about the posture of Christ here in a minute in terms of his mission on earth and who he often was seeking to unsettle. But go That's ahead. right. So one of the goals that we have here at Theocast is to always be trying, uh, always be taking the, the Bible, Scripture, and the themes of the Bible and make them, you know, uh, I would say more practical in our everyday conversations. Yeah. And this or at is least one relatable. Of these. Yeah. Yeah. Relatable. Mm-hmm. So as I preach and as Justin preaches, we are get, we, we, we get together today is different for us. We're recording on a Tuesday. We are about to both go on vacation. So we got to get ahead on our episodes. We're doing one today and one tomorrow. Well, I'm, a, I'm actually going to a pastor's thing. Oh, well, you know, all right, fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm going on vacation and you're going to go work some more. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a is, vacation eventually. Yes. Point of it is we're going to be missing some time. Yep. And when we preach, uh, we often get together on Wednesday morning and we talk about what we preached about this last week and the excitement about the text and what we learned and some of the nuances of the text. And that definitely is what happened today. But we have been trying to explain throughout our time on Theocast the nuance 
of what Christ and we think the New Testament, and I'll just say all of Scripture, points out glaringly with the spotlight is, one, self-righteousness exists in everyone, two, it's danger, and three, the effects of what it causes upon us. So a good ex- example of this is what I'm, I'm currently in John 19, and so I'll just use this as an example, kind of a springboard, Justin. In John 19, Sounds Jesus good. Jesus is, uh, officially has declared it is finished. And in verse 31, John multiple times will, I think, through the power of the Spirit and God's wisdom, will point out the irony of the self-righteous Pharisees and the Jews of how they are going to crucify an innocent man and yet be sure not to defile themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple of examples of this is, let me just, uh, well, I'll pull it up here in a second. So Jesus says it is finished. And as soon as it's done, of course, it says that in verse 31, the Jews go to Pilate and ask for Pilate to take the men off of the cross so that according to Deuteronomy, anytime a criminal was put or hung on a tree that they were not to be left there after sundown because it would defile the land. So they didn't want to go into the Passover defiling the land. It also says in John 18, they didn't want to go into Pilate's courthouse because they too would also defile themselves by going in there so that they would not be able to partake in Passover. So just the John mentions this, right? There are taking a man who Pilate says, I find no guilt in him, and yet they crucify him anyways. They want to make sure that they don't go into his courthouse. They want to make sure that they take him down off the cross so they are righteous enough Mm -hmm. to receive Passover, and yet they miss the irony that they killed the actual embodiment of righteous. So the self-righteousness of the Pharisees ends up murdering the actual righteousness of those who are standing before him. And I love how scripture points out how one, I think, blinding and two, dangerous self-righteous can sure. be. You know, another example of this, and I'll throw it over to you, Justin, is the apostle Paul himself even explains how he himself as a Pharisee was blinded by his own self-righteousness and even was persecuting and killing Christians. And he himself could not see it until, of course, the Holy Spirit had to come and confront him and on the on the on the road to Damascus. So this is kind of sure. where scripture is giving us these are just two examples. I mean, you have the log in your eye splinter. I mean, there's so yeah. many examples. Yeah. James is another example of this, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. A little more Bible backfill. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the illustration of the Apostle Paul is really good where he was convinced at one point in his life that his zeal for God was being expressed in an appropriate way by persecuting the church. Mm. And so he would have seen that as a good thing and even a meritorious thing, that he was so zealous for God that he was persecuting these blasphemers uh, known as Christians. And yeah, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and following, that, that is where he says, don't judge others lest you be judged yourselves. And the point of that passage is that you will be held. And he goes on to say this in verse 2, that the standard that you use to judge others is the same standard that will be used against you. And he's pointing out the blindness of people that, you know, you, again, you have this log in your eye and you presume then to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Well, what's the point of all that? The point of all that is you have this standard that you use to judge other people with, and you yourself have not even met that standard. Mm -hmm. 
and thereby condemn yourself. I mean, this is the language of Paul in Romans 2. He says the exact same thing, that you can't even meet your own standard. And then he takes it further and is basically like, let alone God's standard. Mm-hmm. So when you have your own standard that you can't meet, that you judge others with, I mean, how much more so have you not met God's standard? And it's the doers of the law who will be righteous and justified, not those who just hear it only. I think what I'm struck by, John, in terms of just the blindness piece, maybe to launch us into that a little bit further, is like you were illustrating with the Jews around the time of Passover and the crucifixion of Christ. They are so consumed with adhering to the letter of the law as they understood it, Mm -hmm. that they completely miss the point of the law wholesale. And they are so blinded by their zeal to abide by even this hedge that they have placed around the law to do the right things and to avoid doing the wrong things that they have missed the entire message of God from the beginning, which was a plan of redemption, right? The the plan to redeem God's people through the Messiah in terms of how he would do that. And so, yeah, it's, it's wild how we are blinded by misplaced zeal to keep commandments or to avoid doing things that are the, you know, against the commandments mm-hmm. and miss the point of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And where we're going to go here, I think, is that it's a your confidence is completely misplaced because That's what you're right. doing is in some way, shape, or form, in varying degrees, admittedly, but still to some extent, you are placing confidence in what you are doing and you think that it's appropriate to do that. And it leads to all kinds of problems. You become incredibly dangerous to other Christians. And you will ultimately ruin yourself, which we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about just the danger of self-righteousness maybe and how it ends up being a situation where we just kind of cut other people to pieces. Yeah. Uh, And there's blindness in doing that. That's right. It basically, we weaponize it is what we do. We do. So we we look at, uh, well, th- there's a great book. I was telling Justin about it. It's, it's by a professor by the name of Drew Johnson. It's called The Rights, The Human Rights, uh, Religion, Rituals, and Habits of Humanity. And it's an interesting book because it does deal with kind of the psychology of humanity, of how we have certain habits and rituals that we create, and we don't even... Yeah. We don't even realize how we we are programmed to do things. Like, for instance, there's there was a study done that the when you step into an elevator and the closed elevator door, most of the time those buttons are a placebo. They don't they actually aren't even connected. So if you can hit it, and <laughs> people keep hitting it, think it actually closes. And we have a lot of habits and rituals we do this with, and. Sure. You know, from the on from the beginning, I'm going to say I believe in religion, habits, and rituals. The the scripture, true religion, points us to Christ. Uh, yeah. uh, Christians are called to create good habits, and yeah. we we have rituals that we participate in in every Sunday, right? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, two things on that, just very quickly, if I can. I mean, one, mm-hmm. we believe in corporate worship. I mean, we're instructed to do it in scripture, but in terms of just a discipline of our religion, for example, is show up to church on Sunday and worship mm-hmm. with the saints. But what is corporate worship about? If it's done rightly, it's about Christ and That's we're right. being pointed to him. The sacraments, like you said, That's you right. want to talk about rituals. 
I mean, the Lord has sanctified two of them. That's right. And has connected them to himself. But again, those rightly understood and administered are about what? They're about Christ. Christ. That's right. And they're about our union with Christ. And Mm -hmm. so that's, I think that's an important distinction to make. We are not against ritual. We are not against habits. We are not against religion. We're actually in favor of all of them. And true religion is about Jesus Christ. That's right. So going back to, you can look at the Apostle Paul, the Pharisees throughout all of the uh, the accounts of Christ, but specifically Mm -hmm. in John 19, since this is where I was, they were they were considering themselves to be right in the eyes of God, even Mm -hmm. upholding justice for God, because how dare this man claim to be God? So we're going to crucify him for that. They missed the they missed the sign for the substance, right? So they exactly. embraced the yeah. sign, which is the ritual of cleanliness for the sake of Passover. They missed that for the actual substance, mm-hmm. the lamb, the actual well, they, lamb. They missed them. the substance for the sign. I think. Thank what you. You mean to say that's yeah. what I meant to say exactly? Yeah. The, yeah. They're so wigging out. They're wigging out about the sign itself and like the you know seventeen different ways that it needs to be observed. Mm-hmm. That they miss what the sign was about in the first place. Who is standing quite literally right in front of them? That's right. And they would yeah. make accusations to Christ. This man, he's a drunkard. Sure, he's a sinner. Sure, he 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 hangs he spends, out with sinners. He spends yeah. time with them. If he and they were look a prophet, at their life, that's yeah, if right. he were a prophet, he wouldn't have anything to do with this woman because he would know that she's a prostitute and she should Things not like touch that. him. That's right. right. So they look at their own obedience to their rituals, which some of them were right. A lot of them were added upon. They were not. I mean, Christ was being accused of breaking the law for healing on the Sabbath, which is not something that uh, was instituted by uh, By God. By God, no, by his Father. The point of all of this is that these are examples. As you move into the New Testament, you can see where this attitude is not just of those of the Pharisees before Christ on the cross, but it, it ends up transitioning even into like the first Corinthians. Sure. We're dealing with, um, you know, the whole, even the whole chapter on love where we're, we are projecting how righteous we are and yet we aren't doing things out of love. And Paul says, if not, if anything is not done out of love, it's of no use. And these were projecting the righteousness of those who look, look how spiritual I am because of whatever gifts that they have. And I would even dare say James is a great example of this where they were creating, um, really a caste system of righteousness. Those who had wealth were considered more righteous and we were going to show favoritism towards them versus those who were of lower status. And that's when we, when I mean weaponizing is that we end up using our own capacities to do habits and rituals to say, because I do these, God is more favorable of me or I am clearly more righteous. And so I am going to look down upon or even use my own words to to cut those who aren't living up to the same level to which I am capable of doing. Totally. And the absurdity of that posture, in a self-righteous posture where you bludgeon other people with you, your own righteousness effectively, mm-hmm. because you you are convinced that you have the high ground. You know, you're you're looking down on other people who are not as disciplined or not as holy as you perceive yourself to be. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, your posture toward them is a number of things, maybe condescending, exacting, 
threatening. It's certainly not gentle. It's certainly not humble. It's certainly not gracious. Um, but the absurdity of all that is that you, in trusting to some degree in your own righteousness, you are the exactly the kind of person that Christ would have set himself over and against when his ministry on earth. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of us are self-righteous in ways that we don't see. And Christ died for our self-righteousness. I mean, and he saves us from our own foolishness and trusting in ourselves more than we should. I mean, none of us ever completely kind of are devoid of any sense of self-righteousness. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Can I give an illustration for yeah. that, Justin? Please. I mean, the, the moment you see some kind of heinous crime on the news and you're appalled by it, not by the crime, but almost a comparison of like, I can't believe that that is self-righteousness at that moment. <laughs> Because sure. you you have to understand when Paul says, if it's not by God's grace, I am that person. Exactly, yeah. That's what real, when you see real grace and mercy and you understand you're standing before God as only merciful and full of grace, that's where you can see the heart of it. Now, that doesn't mean you cannot be, Justin and I are highly appalled by sin. Sure. But there's a difference being appalled by the sin and casting judgment upon the sinner. Right. Right. Just to finish my thought, I, we all tend, and, and this is this is the stupidity of self righteousness. We tend to trust in what we're doing or not doing, and we tend to be like the Pharisee in Luke eighteen, who is trusting even in his own God wrought righteousness. He acknowledges that God has done it. God, thank you that I'm not mm-hmm. like other men. Right. So mm-hmm. we can't just say, oh well, you know, it's God's grace in my life, um, and as though that just solves the problem. The issue right. is you you do not trust in yourself in any way, even if it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That sounds scandalous to say. Like even <laughs> if God has made you more righteous in terms of your life than you once were, that is not what you trust in as, as the ground of your standing before the Lord. You trust in Christ only. That's the point of Luke 18, that the one who is trusting in his own God-wrought righteousness is not justified, but the one who knows that he's a sinner and is desperate for the mercy of God is justified. And so the stupidity and the craziness of self-righteousness is that whenever we prop ourselves up and trust in things that we're doing and trust in our own righteousness, we are acting like the people that Jesus set himself against in his earthly ministry. Because what did Jesus do over and over and over again? One of the reasons, you, you already mentioned that the, the Jews crucified Jesus because he was a blasphemer. I think one of the other reasons it becomes very clear in the Gospels that they want to kill him is that they hate him because he constantly explodes their own notions of their righteousness. Mm-hmm. And he makes it very clear because they're trusting in these things. And this is what they understand righteous living to be. And Christ constantly sets the grenade on the table and pulls the pin. And it's like, <laughs> we got to get rid of this guy. Because this just can't he, can't, he can't keep saying these things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you gave the illustration of the Sabbath where they would constantly try to trap him. You know, like, it, you know, he heals a man on the Sabbath and it's breaking the law because of the heads they had put around the Sabbath day. That's right. And he just, he looks at them and he's like, you know, basically, which one of you, you know, if you even had an animal that was caught and trapped, wouldn't go get it. Of course, mm-hmm. this is permissible. Like how insane is this, you know, that you think these (laughs) ways. And last thing I'll say about this, it's very clear when you read the gospels and you observe the posture of Christ with different groups of people, 
Whenever he is dealing with people who are aware of their sin and know that they're not righteous, he is gentle, tender, and compassionate, Mm -hmm. and he forgives their sins. Whenever Mm -hmm. he deals with people who are trusting in themselves that they're righteous or think they can achieve righteousness, he crushes them with the law. That's right. And and he sets himself against that kind of thinking. And so the craziness Mm -hmm. of self-righteousness is that it is the exact opposite of what Christ came to exhort us to. He came to exhort us to come to the end of yourself. You don't have what it takes and you need me was Mm -hmm. the message that he heralded over and over again and what he demonstrated in his posture over and over again. Anyway. Mm. Well, good, good friend of mine and and pastor uh, planter, uh, Patrick Crandall, who's going to be planting a church here in about a month. We were talking about this at lunch and he said to me, we would rather have the credit than the gift. That's what self-righteousness produces. We want the credit before the eyes of man than we do the gift before our father. And that's what self-righteous it's that that's how insane it is. We want mm-hmm. to prove we are worthy of it. Think of it this way. Uh, when, when the prodigal came home, what did the father not let him do? He would not he, let him have any credit to- at all. No, exactly. Because the the prodigal son is convinced that he's going to come back as a slave. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, here's how the conversation goes in my mind. Yeah, go. This is how the conversation goes in my mind. He comes up and he braces him, and and the and the uh, son starts talking. He says, "Father, he goes, hold on one minute. Hey, get the fatted calf. Okay, what was that, son? And he starts talking again. Father, I think no. Hold on one second. And the robe. Okay, well, well, Dad, I wanted to be a servant. Oh, hold and the ring." Yeah, <laughs> like no, same way. Stop, I mean, brother. Stop. I agree. Like it's it's like I mean in the text you can feel it too because this he's already got the pitch prepared. The prodigal son does, and he's and he's probably rehearsing yeah. it over and over again as he's making his way home. And then yeah, the first, what does he do? He sees his dad. His dad runs to him, and the first thing the son says is, "Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no worthy to be no longer worthy to be called your son." And before he can even get to the whole business about let me serve you as a slave, right? I'm going to somehow make it up to you, dad. You don't even have to treat me as a son anymore. You know, the father, like you're saying, interrupts him, bring the, bring the best robe and put it on him, put rings on his hands and shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party because my son is, is found, you know? And yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. How we, so desperately we think, we think in terms of, of merit and yeah. 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 So here's what's hard. It would be easier for the son in his conscience, it'd be easier for the son if the father would have allowed him to work it off. It's harder for yes. the sinner to accept full forgiveness. And that's what's so hard about that story. It's we true. want to show God we mean business. And God goes, mm, no, there's nothing left. There is no such thing as penance. Right. You do not pay me back. You do not earn it. You do not establish it. Forgiveness is a gift, and it always is a gift. And that's really hard for a self-righteous person to accept. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. This maybe is another podcast for another day. 
and because it was a topic I was going to suggest to you today, we didn't get around to it, is the fact that absolution, being absolved of our guilt and being forgiven of our sins, mm-hmm. is something that makes people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. When we start heralding on the basis of Scripture, when we start heralding that you're forgiven and you are absolved, people immediately rise up. People, and I'm talking about people who love God, right? I mean, people mm-hmm. rise up and immediately get very concerned. Like, what? brother, you might need to qualify that, <laughs> you know? Because, you, man, are you not being a little reckless with, you know, forgiveness and absolution here? And it's like, biblically, no, no, we're not being. Because in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven and we are absolved and it's done. And like you said, it's a gift. And right. there's nothing that we can contribute to that equation. And right. lest, lest you think that we're overstating it, I think my last line of defense in this whole conversation about self-righteousness and putting no confidence in the flesh is Philippians chapter three. That's right. Where the apostle Paul is over the top clear. I mean, I'm talking, John didn't even know what I meant by the top turnbuckle before, but he does now, amen. Uh, <laughs> Paul really does come in from the top turnbuckle and I mean, elbow drop on any notion of our own merit and righteousness in Philippians three, one through 11 where he talks about how we are the circum- we are the circumcision who put no confidence in the flesh Philippians 3:3 3, 3, and then goes on to unpack what he means and he talks about how though if there was anybody who has reason to put a confidence in the flesh he has more reasons to mm. be confident and he lists like seven things about his former life to illustrate the fact that he was a rock star that's that right even amongst people like the Pharisees who were really good at doing the right stuff, he was elite and was crushing it in terms of a life of holiness. And then what's scandalous about Philippians 3, John, and I'm happy for you to jump in with your own thoughts on this, is how Paul then goes on to say that all of the things that he had, he counts them as loss. And then he's going to go on to say that anything, anything that I had that was gain, I counted as loss. And anything that I had, I consider it rubbish. And he's not... He's not there renouncing the bad things about himself. He's mm-hmm. not renouncing his possessions either, or like some kind of easy or good life. It's very clear that he is renouncing his virtue and he's renouncing his own righteousness. And he, right. he says that, that I, mm-hmm. I do not want to have a righteousness of my own, but what I want and need is the righteousness of Christ that is received by faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an incredible text, man. Go. Mm-hmm. And this really, I think, just transitions to the second part. So there, I think there's two types of uh, self-righteousness. There's those who weaponize it. They become so confident yeah, others. in mm-hmm, this. They become so confident in their ability to perform certain actions or not to perform certain sins that they can quickly stand up on the stage and point their finger out at everyone and basically judge them. Then there's the quiet self-righteous person who I think is a lot more introspective. <laughs> They're more concerned about themselves than they are other people. They're too afraid to look out to others. So they are, I think, those who have a super tender conscience. I know, Justin, you've talked about this to where they're always examining the house that they have built, that they live in, and they're wondering if it's going to, if, if the waves are going to crash it down. I mean, to even use Jesus' illustration, right, where yeah. they're built it on sand. And Paul looks back at the house he built that was murdered mm-hmm. by the sand. He looks at it and he goes, this entire structure, which is better than anybody's structure that's ever been built in the history of man, is smashed. It's, it is of 
no value. You guys, you have to understand when Justin and I are talking about this, we are talking about in relation to your standing before God as child, either as justified or condemned, as unrighteous or righteous. This is what we're talking about. We cannot collapse sanctification, Hmm. that process by which God is changing us and our justification, that which we are declared right in the eyes of God. People often hear what we're saying and they're, they're saying, John, Justin, you are de-emphasizing the necessity for obedience in the Christian's life. We are saying, yes, if it's relation to your standing before God, which is what Paul is talking about. And I would even say in John 19, Jesus is always dealing with people saying, come to me, not to the law. Come to me, not your own works. And we refuse to do that as it relates to our right standing before the Father. Two comments. First is self-righteousness is foolish because it will, and it is dangerous because it will destroy you in, in terms mm-hmm. of your standing before the Lord because you cannot stand on your own merit to any degree. If mm-hmm. there is, and, and I had a conversation with this, somebody about this recently, and I kind of mentioned this earlier. You're never going to have perfect faith, right? You're never going to have a, a moment where you, there's just no, not even a hint of self-righteousness in your mind. But the question for all of us to answer is, am I trusting in Christ or something else? That's right. And at the, at the heart of it, at the root of the matter, just answer that question. Am I banking on Jesus or my own record? And for the saints, it's very clear in our lives, we're, we're banking on Christ and he's got us and he's provided righteousness for us. So self-righteousness is dangerous for you because it will destroy you. And it's, and it's a, it's a sinking sand foundation, but then it's also dangerous because you tend to bludgeon other people to death. That's if right. you are confident in your own righteousness, you then are very exacting and mm-hmm. condescending and threatening oftentimes toward your brothers and sisters in the faith, and you end up harming them rather than pulling them up and doing them good. So that's one that's thought. Right. Um, but then the other thought is related to what you just said about the whole you know, accusations sometimes that are thrown at us about how you guys are, in one sense, like de-emphasizing the importance of pursuing righteousness and even putting in effort, you know, in the Christian life to which I would say, well, that's absurd. I, we are not saying that we don't try in the Christian life. What we are telling people to do, stop trying to save yourself. That's stop right. trying to do stuff so that you'll be justified. Stop trying to do stuff so that you are going to like prove yourself or Keep yourself in good standing before the Lord. Don't try to do stuff like that. Trust Christ that, for that. That is Philippians 3. Right. Trust Christ for that and trust Jesus mm-hmm. only for that. And then knowing that Christ has you and that he's your righteousness and your peace before God now and forever, try, by all means we try, to love each other and encourage each other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and even flee from sin and pursue obedience. and. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe this is setting up a little bit of something, John, that I know we want to talk about over in the Semper Reformanda podcast. That's right. That's right. We can talk there very pointedly to those who are part of Semper Reformanda about this. It's not good when you encounter these categories of pietism, you know, this hyper introspective focus on your affections and obedience and performance. And you start to learn that there's something else out there 
that is a confessional perspective that's objective and it's about Christ. One of the things that people can do in the early stages of that transition is you begin to overreact and you swing on the pendulum way too far to the other side. And any talk of obedience is now legalism. Don't do that. Right. That's foolish and unhelpful. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Yeah. For the last few minutes, Justin, one thing I think would be helpful in, in understanding these two categories. So we have one, if we're not careful, self-righteousness turns into a weapon against others. Hurts, hurts other people. Self-righteousness can create a false sense of security because totally. you feel safe until your life comes crumbling down. Which it when, will. Which it will. When you, when you finally see the weight of the law and that law just murders your house, boom, it's done. And you realize that your entire system that you created where you feel safe in is no longer safe. Uh, and it's God often, according to Rome, uh, the, our confession, uh, both the Westminster and ours is the London Baptist confession on the providence of God, 5.5. What a great paragraph. <laughs> He says that often God allows believers to fall under long periods of not only sin, but sustained sin to further show them their need of dependence Amen. upon him. To humble and that's them. What, yes. That's right. And that's what happens to those who build houses of self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. You will see God collapse those because it is not helpful or beneficial for you to be trusting in your own righteousness. Now, Mm -hmm. Justin, for the last few minutes, we're running out of time here. For the last few minutes, this is a question that I think you and I have received and I've been receiving for years. Is God displeased with our disobedience? All right. So can I, can I please jump in very quickly? Yeah, go for it. On the thing that you just said. Yeah, Uh, I want to encourage those out there who maybe battle a self-righteous posture and you're Mm -hmm. even semi-aware of it. Take heart in like what John was just referencing for us, you know, for our confession, it's the 1689 London Baptist Confession, chapter five, paragraph five. God will, because you're his and because he loves you, God's going to crush your self-righteousness one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's painful. I mean, it often is, right? Because it, that is a piece of our sanctification and growth to have our self-righteousness yeah. taken from us Hebrews, so that exactly, yeah. so that we will trust all the more in Christ only, and we mm-hmm. will be humbled and we will see our need of God. God only does that because he loves us and because we're his. It's not because he's angry and it's not because we're not his. So right. yeah, don't, don't wig about that and trust the Lord. He's going to do his good work in your life, including taking your self-righteousness and just kind of rending that from your hands, um, mm-hmm. which needs to happen. All right. Yeah. Your question is God displeased with us. Let's go. Right. Which we're probably only going to be able to answer for a couple of minutes, but I, I want to set it up and just quickly as we can answer it here and we'll have to answer it in the next podcast, but fully, but uh, this is a very common question. Go ahead. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and do something that's a little bit more, I don't know, it's an indirect answer to your question that I hope will expose what we're trying to get at. Okay. To even ask that question, is God displeased with me when I don't X? You're then assuming that there must have been at least some point in your life where God would look at your performance and based upon that alone would be pleased. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And that's precarious, you know? Exactly. Uh, Because what does God require? 
Yeah, biblically speaking, God requires perfection. We we grade on a curve, right? Like you and I, we do this to each other. You and I have never treated each other perfectly, but we we understand that our nature is sinful, and so we 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 give each other grace. We. We grade on a curve or we throw, we introduce things into the text that isn't in the text. For example, we say, well, you know, you need to be willing to, to do this. And I want to like, I just like, excuse me. I mean, it's not what it says, you know? No. So to the answer to your question, is God ever displeased with you? Then my answer would be, if we're talking about your performance, then yes, Every moment of every day, he is utterly displeased with you. Yeah, Uh, uh, completely. But what does Paul say? We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So our sin is covered by his blood, and our obedience is clothed with his righteousness. So no, when the father looks at me as his child, my performance does not cause our father to lean one direction or the other. We just did a podcast on this, on the impassibility of God. Yeah, sure. And also... We are united to Christ, and we are quite literally hidden in him. I mean, so mm-hmm. when the Father looks upon us, he sees the merit and righteousness and holiness of his Son. And when it comes to our own performance, it never could be meritorious in God's sight. That's a crazy notion. Mm-hmm. And I, the last That's thing right. I'll say about this, is people may raise, like, well, what about Ephesians 4, where we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit? I know we've mentioned mm-hmm. this a few times lately, and we'll mention it again. Because we need to understand what that's about, and that is a passage that's about the unity of the church and and that's tearing right. other people to pieces with our words and thereby destroying the unity of the church that the Holy Spirit himself has given it. And so that needs to be understood in a corporate way, um, that the Holy Spirit is grieved when the church is divided rather than being unified around Christ, right? And yeah. so that's a corporate reality, and that that yep. is serious. So it basically the, the takeaway from that is be unified in the church around the Lord Jesus Christ and love each other. Um, yeah. And I will add to that, Justin, to your argument. If you read Ephesians 4, 4 and following, one spirit, yeah. right? One body, one, one baptism, Lord, one, faith, one, one faith. baptism, one God and Father right. of all. So I think that your disobedience, so let's just get this out of the way. God always accepts your obedience on the merits of Christ whether they be, right? You've never loved God and you've never loved your neighbor with all your heart. So let's just get that out of the way. No one is accepted by their own merits. It's always the merits of Christ. Now, we're going to get into this in Semper Reformanda, but I will say it here to get us started. Your good works absolutely matter, not to your standing before God, but they matter to the mission of God that God has given to the church and you as yeah. an individual. This yeah. is why Second uh, Peter 1, he can say, if you aren't showing guide, uh, godliness and kindness and forbearance and, and meekness. He says you're ineffective. That's right. He says you're ineffective, meaning that you're not using the gifts that has been given to you. Because he says, when you're not doing this, you forgot that you've been cleansed. So yeah. the, Paul says it this way, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Right. So- he- he also says, he's already talked about our union with Christ and our identity that we have in him. And he'll also say, put off the old man and put on the new man. That's it's the right. same exhortation. Remember who you are and remember what Christ has done and live in a way commensurate with the gospel. That's right. So your, disobe- your obedience as 
fallible as it may be, mm-hmm. is still necessary. And God in his graciousness and kindness uses it to advance totally. his kingdom. And he's the one it, who produces it in the first place. Yeah. He who began a good work in you will complete walk, it. Right? Walk in the good works that God has already prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Right. Yeah. Work yeah. out your salvation with fear and trembling for he it is who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Amen. these are all things we're going to talk about in Semper Reformanda. Man, this is brand new. We just launched it. Justin is exploding. We're excited. So just for those of you that are new to the podcast, we started a brand new podcast called Semper Reformanda. For those of you that don't know what that means, it's Latin for always reforming. We're excited about taking the Reformation forward throughout the world. We have members and listeners that are all over. We have several hundred people who have joined us, and we are now doing a special podcast for them to which they can also then gather in local communities and online to then discuss this and further learn and be encouraged by these truths. If you want to learn more about that, if you want to hear the podcast and you want to join a local online group, you can go to theocast.org to learn more about that. We will see you all next week. Next week.